It's Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. We're the show that knows that really the line to dumb people shouldn't be pedophilia. It's well for that, like misogyny and homophobia and transphobia and all that stuff. But, you know, we now know the line at least. All right. Uh, we've got a returning guy that was just not funny. I couldn't figure out how to how to take shots at Milo. And God, do I want to take shots at Milo. Uh, all right, we got a guest tonight uh, <laughs> to talk about a brand new series that's going to be coming out this Wednesday from DC Comics. Uh, but before I introduce him, who's a returning guest, I want to welcome my co-host, Alana. How you doing? Hi, I'm really excited about having our guest on the show in a moment. Um, and I guess for once, I'm actually not going to make a particular pitch for folks of something to do. But as always, if you're an artist or writer who has creative work you'd like to help share to grow the movement uh like let me know i'm on twitter but let's get to our yes. guest <laughs> all right uh this is a returning guest we've had him on a few times steve orlando who is taking the uh, over duties and really just relaunching the justice league of america for dc comics that series comes out this uh wednesday uh he is the talent behind the uh, Midnighter, Midnighter and Apollo, which both are uh, made numerous best of lists, um, nominated for tons of awards, glad awards, all kinds of stuff. Uh, he, he's doing Supergirl. He just wrapped up Namesake with Boom a little bit ago. He's done Undertow, Virgil, and the upcoming Batman uh, crossover. Welcome, Steve. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. It's good to, it's good to be back talking to you guys again. Yeah, yeah. I think you're the busiest awesome man in comics right now. <laughs> like, I, you're writing so much stuff. It's pretty amazing. And and I feel like we had you on the show, uh, you know, pretty early in your career and have been following it and just really seeing how how huge you got. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> it is. It is pretty surreal. I was going to say, I think I've interviewed with you guys, but I maybe haven't been on since, have I been on on since Undertow, like on the on the podcast version of the show? Yeah, we, we had talked with about Virgil. Midnighter, like uh, yeah, we, we had we Midnighter, Virgil yeah. and Midnighter a bit. Yeah, we did, we did do that one. Yeah. Okay. But I clearly, we should come on more often. That's all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Yes, I agree. So you kind uh, of got invited to relaunch such a huge brand in like the DC Comics universe, and and um. I was looking to just see like what how, what's the story behind that? That's 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 like I was so excited to hear that they brought you on for that role. Well, I mean, me too. Uh, obviously, um, <laughs> you know, the anyone who sees me uh, on social media knows, you know, or has heard an interview with me ever. I mean, knows the JLA is the like first modern comic I ever bought. Not the first comic I ever bought, which was at a flea market in the 80s, but uh, from a comic store, the first thing I got was an issue of JLA, and that was exactly 20 years ago. Uh, and so the idea that I picked that up and then now here I am launching a JLA number one is is pretty surreal to me. You know, uh, I, I didn't really think I would be here, uh, but when they offered the opportunity to me, I mean, Justice League of America is where the characters of the DC Universe come together to meet, uh, to get along, to not get along, uh, but either way, uh, you know, find a way to work together for the greater good. 
which is an important thing right now. So I, I, I couldn't be more excited to be working on the book, to be working with characters that uh, deserve attention in the DC universe. Uh, and hopefully someone will pick up, you know, hopefully this Wednesday someone will pick up JLA number one, uh, and 20 years from now I'll be reading their books because that would be great. Aww. <laughs> so this is definitely a different JLA cast of characters than we've had so far, including uh, a couple of reformed villains and some new characters and uh, one of my favorite old ones who, like, nobody seemed to know what to do with for a long time, but you totally kicked ass using her. Um, do you want to give us a quick rundown of who's on our team right now? Yeah, well, you know, the the, the team is put together um, uh, based off, so the team starts with, in my opinion, starts with Killer Frost, uh, who you mentioned reform villains, who's working towards hopefully someday just being Frost, uh, and uh, or Crystal Frost, as she is sometimes. Um, huh. And uh, I saw this, that was in that was in a DC animated movie. I read a lot of wiki, as you might imagine. Uh, but <laughs> so, but this idea that she has decided to reinvent herself and take a step towards being better in Justice League Suicide Squad, and the whole team grows out of this conversation she has with Batman, and that over the idea that you know that everybody deserves the chance that that she was given in that crossover. Uh, and that sort of humanistic view uh, drives out forward uh, as the book as the book begins with the idea of bringing people together uh, that are, uh, with one notable exception, a team of Justice Leaguers that are human. And that doesn't mean that they don't have superpowers, uh, but it means that they started out as as humans, and it means that they have, in many cases, gone through in you know someone like Killer Frost, someone like the Ray. Uh, they've gone through trauma to get where they are and, and, and create a team that shows people that it does get better and that you can persevere and that you can be a hero no matter what you're, what is going on in your life. And that's important to Batman, uh, you know, because of things that are things that have touched him personally in the past year in the DC universe. And you saw that in Detective 950, uh, where before he disappears, Tim realized that Batman is, you know, he's armies, he's putting people together and something's certainly coming in his life that he, he wants to have support for. Um, and, you know, the whole team is sort of built around that idea with, with the one mystery of Lobo and what is this sort of arrangement and this special plan that Batman has for Lobo on the team and why does he need to be there because he's about as far from human as, as you can get. But everyone else on the team are people that have, you know, that have that are fought through things, whether it's Black Canary, whether it's the Ray, whether it's Vixen, uh, whether it's the Adam, who is, you know, jumping in head first into going from uh, the support role uh, with his with his friend Ray Palmer being the Adam into the and 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 being mm-hmm. the Adam and get uh, and. You know, and the same goes. Uh, I think I hit everyone actually as I ramble about there. Yeah. And, uh, with, uh, I consider as well um, to be along with Killer Frost uh, and Batman the sort of triangle that forms the heart of the team. Because I don't think this Justice League has a leader per se. Maybe a couple of people think they are certainly, but it's all about uh, finding ways to make each other better. Um, so, uh, it's like the superhero version. Uh, it's like the superhero version of a Negroni. You know, like three things in equal parts, together much better when they're together, and that's what the Just League of America is about. It's like a, you know, because I'll make a cocktail. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, like, you made a fancy cocktail reference. That's that's very you. Um, I love it. Uh, you know, I, I, the vibe I really got from the cast was a, like kind of like Batman and the Outsiders from that era. Yeah, I think it's 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 
there's hints of that, but I should say as well, like I, 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 I always push back against the fact that you know, even if Batman thinks that he's there to sort of show these guys how it's done, uh, some of them know better than that, and he clearly needs something from them too. Uh, you know, when I put mm-hmm. this team together, interesting and it's important to me. Um, you know, a lot of these characters do have a history with the Justice League. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. Ray was in the league. Ray was in the league in the '90s. Vixen was a prominent member of the Detroit Era League. The Atom has been a member, you know, since the '60s. Obviously, at one time, Black Canary was a founding member uh, in the in the mm-hmm. 1990s era. You know, post post Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, so I wanted, you know, I wanted in, in in many cases to restore the iconography of these characters because they were so they were at, at different times in the. 50 plus, almost, I guess, uh, six, almost 60 year history of the league, uh, identified with them, and, and I thought that they deserved mm-hmm. that place again. Did you choose the cast for this one, or was it like a dialogue between you and some of the other creators on related books? Oh, it's always a dialogue, you know, because, you know, the, and not just, by the way, the creators on other books, but, but with Ivan and with the people that were working on the one shots to see, well, especially Ivan, because we were, we were going to be building the main book together. I uh, see who would be interesting, uh, and and to see who who could who could give people something fresh and new and push his art in a way that gives people things that are fresh and new. Uh, but yeah, the part of the, the collaboration is not just with your creators, but it's with everyone that's sort of steering the ship of the DC universe. And there are, you know, there's always going to be things, there's always going to be plans happening and and gears moving that you don't know about. So the key is, yeah, is to talk to the creators, talk to the people using these characters, to see with them and see how we can boost that up or see who maybe is slipping through the crack and needs uh, some time to shine again. Um, you know, that, that character for me was Vixen, who I thought had, you know, was giving visibility again in, on CWC and and the, sh- and, uh, the live-action Arrow show and, and also was very prominent in Justice League Unlimited and a character that I thought deserves an immense amount of respect and I wanted especially to make sure that she was there so, so that people can see what she has to offer. Definitely. So, so, I have to say, I thought you and Jody Hauser um, and uh, artist Jamal Campbell's uh, issue on Vixen was just wonderful. Um, to me, it was really a highlight. And I feel like it's been a long time since I've seen a writer really recognize how incredibly powerful she is in terms of her power set. And the other thing that you did that I really loved that you, that you and Jody did in the Vixen uh, one shot was you gave her like a concrete personality flaw in a way that I feel like hasn't necessarily been consistently the case through the past and that I think is helpful for making her be, like, a distinctive character. Uh, well, thank you. I mean, yeah, that was very – I mean, from the start, there was this idea that, uh, you know, she would uh, – like a lot of public figures – well, there, there were two main focal points. And one was the flaw, which I think you're talking about, is that she almost tries to do too much uh, and mm-hmm. that she's spread in – that you know, there, there's a question of what actually what actually makes it home with all these initiatives she has, uh, and I think people try uh, different movements and 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 do a lot of good. I mean, sometimes it becomes spread too thin, and that's something that we all, even if it's not you know, with 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 uh, with philanthropy, we we've all been spread too thin. And so I think it's something you can relate to. Uh, and then the other thing that uh, in, in conversations with uh, with other creators and and with uh, uh, just peers that are outside of comics, but who I use for perspectives from a political and social sense, was this idea that you know, uh, you know, she is she is uh, 
a woman of color and she and she is someone and she is a prominent figure with no secret identity. So that's the idea that you know, there'd be people who would say, Well, why can't you just be a model? Why can't you just be a businesswoman? Why do you have to do Vixen? You know, in the same way that people say Beyonce, why can't you just be a singer? Kaepernick can't uh-huh. you just play Kaepernick, why can't you just play football? And that that fixing something very personal to her because not everyone gets it. Not everyone understands why, especially her, with everything that she has, she would go out and risk her life. And, and I think it makes it mean even more when she when she puts the the totem on and does it. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think that like you did a really excellent job of like just you know crafting like a specific personality for her, and 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 just really showing how incredibly powerful it is to have access to. Oh, any animal in the in on the earth's potential powers. Like she's a huge powerhouse and has not always been written that way and you totally are getting that. And I think it's really gratifying to see. That reveal that Jamal Campbell did too, when she's tapping in with the to the animal powers of the world and you see like a million different animals in that in that splash page was was really splendid. And the colorist was great on that too. Well the colorist was Jamal. I was about to say Jamal did oh. uh, did amazing Work that he did everything Great. pencils colors uh and i i really hope he gets a chance to come back to jla because he he did incredible work i mean design work we left so much we left, I, I tried to leave as much open as possible for you. and uh so much of the look of that was just greater than i could have imagined so i i really hope he gets a chance to come back it would not have uh, been the same book without him and by the way that goes for everyone who works in the jla one shots like stephen Byrne on the ray Mm-hmm. on uh, and McDonald on Adam. Uh, I should point out Ben on the Adam, who actually is from Hong Kong, uh, one of the editors on the Adam, and was like invaluable uh, in in making that book, bringing it together as it came out, and 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 reached you guys. That's really cool. I I, I really like that part of his origin of the Adam. You know, being the, essentially being like a student from another country coming to America on a student visa—that's such a common story in the real world. And I don't feel like I've quite seen it hit up with that level of accuracy before that before that issue. So. Well, I you know, just, I, I we we always try to give you guys like the, obviously all the explosions that you want, but. Or can handle, but 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 small details, you know. Um, that that I hope I give you and, and my co-writers and co-creators give you. In the case of Ryan, my actual roommate in college was from uh, Beijing. And what struck me, like, when I first met him is that he had, you know, my Ryan, who's real name, if you find out in the Adam, isn't actually That's not a, I need uh, you know, my roommate had picked uh, essentially almost arbitrarily uh, an English name uh, in, in place of his, his Chinese name. Uh, and that was something that I thought, you know, would make sense for Ryan because well, otherwise, why would his parents name him that? So I, that's why it was interesting and important to me to open it up with that scene of them, uh, sort of hemming and hawing about his English name and him choosing that. Um, and, you know, I, I hope those things, uh, I hope those things make it through and make him better realize. And I, I should thank Gene Yang as well, who, uh, helped me out very much with how they would, how his parents would give him like a nickname, like they do in that book. Because I had no idea how that would work uh, for mm. for cancer speakers, but he was uh, he was very helpful with that. Very cool. 
Well, I know Brett and I both were talking, and you've talked about this as well in terms of the team construction of, like, the Justice League of America should reflect America in the sense of it having a diverse range of, of, of characters um, based on race and ethnicity and sexual orientation and religion, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that, that definitely looks like it's part of the plan that you've put here. No, it is because, you know, we want this to be a team uh, that that is uh, very, very bold and very open about the fact that it doesn't look like any one thing. And, and, and you'll see that idea come together as, as the series goes on and on. You know, the fun thing uh, when when the when issue one comes out that you'll see is that, like, you know, Batman and Vision have a plan, but but sometimes the story starts before the plan is ready. You know, like you saw that they're refurbishing the, the sanctuary, the secret sanctuary uh, in JLA Rebirth. Um, but, you know, things might start before everything is ready to go. So I, 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 the rollout of the team, uh, I think, will be interesting because they almost have to start running before they can walk with their with their with their public image uh, once things with the extremists start up, which will be uh, in two days. <laughs> with the the build up to the series, it's it's interesting in that uh, you guys handled it a little bit different than some of the other rollouts with the with DC. They have been doing for those who don't know this like rebirth issue, which kind of bridges the old and the new and, and is a great way for people to get into it. But this one, you actually spotlighted the, the individual characters, which isn't something that's really been done previously. Like how did that idea come about and what were some of the specific reasons you went that route as opposed to like maybe one issue that, that brought them all in? I mean, plus there was a, a rebirth issue that, that brought them all together. Well, a lot of it is, um, you know, honestly, we wanted you guys to get to get a chance to get to know a lot of these characters uh, before the main book starts. A lot, in, in many, and you'll notice the people that got Rebirth one shots were not are, are not people who were appearing in other books, which uh, which was sort of where our thought process was. You know, when everybody knows Batman, and and maybe everybody is in the Black Canary, but she's she's in she stars in two books, uh, and so the, there's a good chance that you have seen her before. Uh, but mm-hmm. some of these other characters been away for a while, uh, or haven't been introduced at all in the New 52 in the case of the Ray, or they've been away uh, for some time uh, in the case of in the case of Vixen. She did appear in Drunk League International back in the day of the New 52. And so we wanted and to the cartoon. Just... <laughs> uh, and and so we wanted to give people a chance, like I said, to get to know them and get to know their, their sort of setting in, in the DC universe and then tee, every, tee them up to really be everything they could be in the book. And plus, you know, I mean, these are, it's a great time to go a little more in depth with these characters, um, you know, before they have to share 20, uh, 20 pages with uh, six co-stars and someone that means them, means them harm, you know? Hmm. One of the things that I really liked about the, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go right ahead. I I can wait. Uh, One of the things that I thought was really interesting about the Killer Frost, uh, issue was how continually she's being set up to fail by a system um, and no matter what she's trying to do to do a better job to rehabilitate herself as it were like the people who are supposed to be in charge of taking care of her and protecting her have a completely opposite agenda which is to keep her incarcerated, keep her imprisoned and have her not be able to start her life anew um, and I thought that that sounded like some pretty apt uh, analysis of the criminal justice system. 
Uh, well, I <laughs> sadly, I, sadly, I would agree, uh, and 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 I think that a lot of that comes from uh, a lot of that comes from Waller, who I actually think, I mean, Amanda Waller is one of my favorite characters in comics. Me too. I find her, you know, she's an incredibly strong character, but I don't find her be at least, you know, at the moment in light of everything that's happened. Too, you know, she's never too hopeful, uh, and I, <laughs> uh, say at least, and so, and, and she protects herself that way, and she protects us that way by, you know, by by making decisions that, you know, other people shouldn't have to. To me, she's kind of like the operative in Serenity, right? Where she's, you know, she she's trying to make the world a better place, but she has no intention of living there. Um, but but in that respect, I, I think that. And I think that perhaps she's, you know, talking about the criminal justice system, I think there is, she, she has seen the way this goes, you know, speaking metaphorically. She has been running these teams, and she has seen people who bounce back to Belarus time and again, and I think that she has been trained with this narrative and gotten used to this narrative, that she doesn't have a reason to hope differently. And even if she did, uh, it doesn't outweigh the pragmatism of, of how it's gone every other time. And so I think there's a, there's a sadness to how resolute she is in many ways. Because um, she mm-hmm. feels she has to be. feels she has to be. Um, I mean, she's, she's and, profiting off of people continuing to have their freedom taken away from them and serve her. Like, that's the, essentially the business model of the program she runs. Uh, well, yeah, certainly, along with blowing up people's heads. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I mean that's kind of the thing, right? About about the Suicide Squad that I find interesting. So on one hand, it's you know making bad. It's making. I had a line in it about Midnighter where you know she Midnighter respects her because she she takes bad things and bends to to doing good. But at the same time, it is there's still such a ceiling that she places on it, right? Because she doesn't actually try to rehabilitate people. So she's. On one hand, she I think she she does try to see herself as sort of you know making the best of of of, of bad people, but she's already kind of given up and given them a pretty low ceiling, which 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 is why something like Killer Frost and the events of of Justice League Suicide Squad, you can't wrap her head around it. Uh, and you know, I I really question. I don't have the answer as to if in a perfect world, you know, she wouldn't have a Suicide Squad or not, you know, anymore. Like mm-hmm. I, her, and I, I, I would love to dig into and sort of wonder what her end game is. Cause I don't really know, uh, with, with everything that she's waded into, uh, right now, if she sees the way out of those types of decisions, but it would be fun to explore someday. Uh, and I think Vita is exploring that, those types of things a little bit in her, and her Amanda Waller series as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, we had her on the show. She's awesome, and I love what she's doing. But Yeah, that was definitely, for me, like a big thing that I just immediately saw in the comic and thought, like, yep, Steve's doing something smart about this. Not surprised. <laughs> so, yeah. I want to say with Frost as well, like another component to her is this idea of, of, of her powers and, by, and, and by, necess- by necessity, her sort of crimes and actions her need for 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 heat to survive, I you know we approaching it as as people you know who are struggling with addiction who are struggling with yeah. chronic illness, mm-hmm. 
Um, because, you know, she has, I mean, she, and this is what, you know, Batman has said a little bit, she has been placed in a bad situation, but she has never, you know, she didn't make a, a choice to become caught in that accident and, and need these types of things to survive. And she has done bad things in service of necessity, you know, the necessity to save her own life. Um, but I, I, the idea of her dedicating herself to, to overcoming it after succumbing to it for so long, I think is, you know, hopefully it's, it's hopeful for people and interesting. My, um, you know, it's not a direct correlation because my aunt wasn't a vampire, uh, but she did suffer from fibromyalgia, which is a disease that many, you know, many doctors will just not believe is even real. Uh, and so the of doubting her and, you know, backsliding with it and having setbacks is a lot of what I hope people connect with with Frost because, you know, and I say a little bit of it in the Ray too, where it's not like a magic on-off switch. Once he once he comes, he becomes visible and becomes the Ray, everything is not magically better. You know, everything for these characters is a process. Um, you know, and and just like these things are processes for us in real life. So I hope I, I want it to come across. I don't want it to be perfect uh, because you know you don't have to be perfect to be good. You don't have to be perfect to be a hero. That's what Again, this team is out there for us. Mm-hmm. So something I noticed about it, and it kind of came up a little bit in the rebirth, and it comes up in the first issue, is clearly hinting at this team is kind of a replacement for uh, the gods out there, like the the really superhuman. And these are superhuman. These are more of the the down to earth, uh, realistic things that that people, the average people, can be. To, can relate to, um, and it feels like it's the populist team out of the two, which is really interesting considering, you know, that's a word that keeps on getting thrown around and, and perverted a little bit nowadays. Is that something that was kind of true, or, you know, I might, you know, is, is that kind of part of the series, like the big picture of it? Um, well, yeah, that's a tough word, uh, as you just said, uh, but, but yeah. I think yeah. in the... In the way that Alana pointed out, you know, perhaps this is truly a populist team in, you know, reflecting what the populist actually <laughs> is like. Right. The, uh, so, yeah. So in that respect, perhaps, you know, I would try to uncharge it in some ways. Uh, but 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 certainly, like I said, you know, when, when I was doing media or, or in press in the first round and, and saying that this is a team that looks like America – that's reality, uh, you know, and, and that is important. If a Justice League of America, that was, you know, six white guys and Wonder Woman as the secretary would not reflect what the world is today. And, and I do think uh, that that is important. I mean, I don't think it is important. I know it's important because we, we have to reflect reality and we have to, we have to give everybody access and we have to give everybody participation. Uh, and, and, you know, I can't fix that in the real world, but I can uh, have a team that tries to fix that and do things differently and address, uh, address problems with the sort of respect and maturity that uh, we want our, our, our leaders to do today. So in that respect, yes. Uh, like you said, that's a it's a challenging term now uh, to say the least. But 
I do want the team to reflect what the actual populace and the actual, and, and honestly, not just America, but, but the actual sort of interplay of America and the world is uh, and needs to be um, going forward. I like it. Yeah. 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 Speaking of that, I, I you know, why I, I, I believe I broke the story back during Comic-Con about, you know, how exciting it is to say that the creative team on the, the Ray uh, single issue, you know, having a, a LGBTQ creative team on a gay superhero title um, and how exciting that is to see. Uh, I have read the issue now. And what really struck me is I feel like this is definitely – I don't want to say like a kid friendly, but like a young person friendly issue that I feel like if you are a young LGBTQ or like pretty much like any young person who is part of an or group of people that has been targeted by the current administration as a quote enemy, that like this is an issue that I feel like would really make you feel better about your place in the world and that there's other people who are also, you know, have your back. In a way, it felt like you, you, you really built a metaphor that I felt like would be really reassuring and powerful for young people. And I know that, you know, like Justice League series as a whole, this is not like a young adult like focus. This is like one of the flagship titles. Um, but obviously, young people have always been a huge part of the audience of flagship titles. That's the nature of, of comics. Um, but I, I thought it was really noted to me how I was like, I think that the kids would feel good reading this. And that makes me happy. Well, I mean, thank you, and 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 I hope so. You know, like the Ray, as we sort of talked about the Ray, and you know, the idea of him being gay had sprung up in in multiversity, and it had sprung up in, um, you know, the upcoming animated show. But it really made so much sense when you thought about him. It was just such a beautiful sort of metaphor for what we go. Uh, that it it, it all it, it all fell into place very nicely. But beyond that, you know, it was a challenge for me because you guys know me. It's, it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard to do a book without, without swearing an exploding head. And, and, and I was sort of like, <laughs> how am I going to tackle these things without, you know, unscreened bottoming, which is something I've never done before. Um, but, uh, but joking aside, like, it's very pleasing for me to hear that because obviously there's a time, including when I was younger, that, that uh, having LGBT themes at all immediately meant mature readers, even if it was, you know, two guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really pleasing to hear that. And I think people need that. You know, uh, I know people need that. Uh, I could have used it you know, and not just, and not just this book, but things like, you know, Steven universe and, I have heard from from young cousins and things that there's actually a Nickelodeon show with gay dads on it now, uh, which I'm not being weird and not saying it. I've only heard rumors of it because I'm so deep mm-hmm. in the comic mind. I don't get to watch much TV these days, but uh, you know, I, I I wish I could have had that. You know, so it is it is pleasing, and I hope people pick it up. And, and and think about themselves. And as you said, like, it doesn't have to be a one-to-one for being, like, queer youth or something. There's so many people that are ha- that feel like, you know, as we mentioned in the press conference in that book, like, doors are being closed to them and, and, and blinds are being shut to them. And, um, well, they're, they're not all being shut, you know, and they're not all mm-hmm. being closed. And I hope they up and, and feel that. And I, and I hope, more importantly, that that begins to change on a larger scale. 
Uh, I, I think you're moving a little bit far from the microphone at a, at a moment, Stephen. So. Oh well. Okay. Uh, what did you get there? Oh no, I heard you. I'm just saying that the volume is kind of going up and down a bit. I, I've oh, heard okay. everything, but just try to keep at a uniform distance between the, the microphone and yourself as speaking. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that's true. I really like Burns' art. Um, I think he's got a nice aesthetic sense. I really enjoyed the rebellious haircut of queer youth making an asserted appearance in that issue. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be great to see, like, whole, you know, additional spinoff series with some of these characters, even though I know that, of course, will continue to be big part of the of the, the team book. Um, but, yeah, I really liked I, I, I liked that the mom was someone who was like a toxic person in his life, but you also understand how she got that way. Um, and I think like that is something that can be relatable for a lot of people as well. Like you have a lot of parents that are either completely monstrous in, in the sorts of fiction and there's like no kind of justification for this, or you have parents who are like, Oh, it was all just a misunderstanding. Ha ha ha. And this is actually neither of those things. This is actually a lot more like I think how things are for a lot of people. Like this is his mom is is, is not is, is is not having has a bad relationship with him because she's in a bad place, and he doesn't have to forgive her. He like has to move on and get over it. But it's sort of this weird. Um, I don't know. I guess I just hadn't seen that relationship that much, especially in things that I had young characters in them. Well, yeah, I mean, because you know, it's it's it, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that has begun to wear after years and and, and turn and as you said, turn toxic. You know, uh, and that I think does happen. You know, parents who, uh, you know, have have given up all you know have given up their lives. Uh, you know, for for the kids, uh, which is you have to. But then you know, at some point, you can start begin to think about what you haven't. You know, and I think that. I, as you said, that does happen in situations where where someone has to take the blame for it. And and in her case, yeah, I mean, she does. She feels trapped because it's the right thing, you know. What she, how she's raised Ray, is in her mind the right thing to do. But also, uh, you know, it, it's put her. It's it's been just as it's been just as confining to her. And I think that, you know. Plenty, as you said, of, of, of life situations uh, growing up are, are analogous to that. Uh, you know, even if we don't all blow up in the in the sunlight and things like that. But um, I think that sort of tension is much more real to you know to none of us really have not none of us, but on the whole, like it's rare to have like true wicked stepmothers. Uh, but having tension that just builds up for decades uh, is, is, I think, perhaps much more relatable and something that we we all deal with in different situations. Totally. And I think the dynamics for having him be like, you know, a gay young man, that's particularly pronounced, like the idea that she can keep him safe from the outside world and that he's dangerous to himself and others. Like there's a lot of subtext um, from like bad cultural sentiments that have happened in our world that I think are reflected really well when you, when you put him in that particular story that way. I also like how you explain the origins of his costume. I I, I felt like it, I kept looking and thinking he reminded me of Adam and Adam Ant from Adam and the Ants, like the New Wave band, who were amazing. <laughs> um, 
and obviously that itself was a reference to, you know, like the particular uh, romantic hero fantasy, like swashbuckling costumes. Um, but I like that you have him going back to watching the same, the same movie. I wasn't sure if you had a particular film in mind when you had that scene designed. Oh, well, I mean, well, Silver Blade is probably my deepest DC Comics cut ever so far. Uh, mm-hmm. Is a DC that is like a that that is a DC character. He was like uh, he was like an Errol Flynn type that ended up becoming the character he played uh, in the movie. So I so I realized that this movie probably existed in uh, the DC universe. Um, and you know, you know, I, I, I in that respect, Ray is like me. You know, he grows up watching you know these these old these older films and 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 having this sort of sensibility. This is not to say that I, I, I grew up watching Robin Hood and, and now consider myself some mustache hero, but... Um, I do. I, think, I completely consider myself that way. Having watched lots of Robin Hood as a child, I think it makes lots of sense. But um, the, the interesting thing... No, I hear you. Hey, and I, and I don't want to blow up his spot too much, uh, but I will a little bit in a, in a respectful way. Um, I... Uh, I blow up a spot is the wrong word, but I think, you know, the editor of the book, Andy Corey had uh, a really great perspective on it. He was raised outside of the U S and he, and, and much like Ray, everything, the majority of what he learned about America and the world was all through film and, and television because that was his only connection he had. And so and it formed so much of his perception that when he actually got here, he was, it was like, it was like a weird uh, like meta level of culture shock uh, that 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 set in with him, um, and that that informed a lot of what the thought process was with Ray too uh, in his in his sort of disillusionment when he reaches the world because he's only been trained about how to act from his mom and that and then the sort this sort of hyper reality that you get from that you get from film especially in that in that period of time so. I should thank him a lot uh, for that because he was extremely helpful with the book and that perspective. And it, again, like, you know, these things are a team effort and if, and we all sort of come to these places in different ways. And, and if Andy had lived that and had that perspective, it probably wouldn't have put, it probably would have been a different book and, uh, and, and not as strong a book. So, um, I don't really know how to end that statement other than I, it, it was, it was wonderful having him on it. And, and a lot of what you, what you see with this media influence, and hero worship comes from comes from things that again, like someone working in the book actually experienced. That's really great. I've not I've noticed that that's been a theme that you kind of brought up a few times. Um, you know, as a as a writer, I mean, you, you brought up that um, you know Gene Yun Lang helped you, your your artist helped you, and you know all these people kind of stepped in to give their perspectives. And it, it sounds like it that's that was the difference between having an okay book and then one that that really has those great details that makes the series fleshed out. I mean, as a writer, you know, is that something that you are specifically going out to, to seek out? Like you re- realize that that's, you know, not your, like you might not know that perspective and you're finding people to, to help you, or is this kind of like organically uh, coming together? No, I mean, look, I think that, uh, part of the responsibility of being a writer is, is recognizing your blind spot. And, and that means different things in different, in different books. Um, 
But no, I mean, I it's we have a strong as a creator, you have a strong network of peers that have gone through different things, and I think you're a fool not to use them. You know, I think you're, you know, and 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 in many cases, when you're working on characters, and this is the same, I'm sure we talked about this on Virgil. It it goes beyond you're a fool not to. It's your responsibility to use them, uh, mm-hmm. because things that you're creating are are mean so much uh, to 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 people who have had that one to one experience. And uh, you know, yeah, I think that it, it, it's you, you have to use them, and it's not a slight on your ability as a creator. I don't look at it that way uh, because we all have things that we don't get, uh, and and that's just the way it is. There are things that I haven't lived, and there are things that you know, everyone, everyone could say that. And yeah, you have an empathy towards them, but I also think uh, for you know for for the the icing on the cake, and that's, that's the wrong phrase, but you know, as you said, the finer point. Um, you you need to reach out and you need to you need to give it that extra those, those extra details because when you're working with things that deal with representation sometimes this is the first time that people have gotten a story that's about them and they deserve to have it done right and that's not about I'm better or worse than X or Y creator it's about we can all be better uh, by using each other's strengths so that's how I feel about that and 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 you know I try to I try to engage my work. Everything I do that way, you know. Um, that's why I thought it was important to have Jody involved uh, in working with me in the books that were female-led for the same reason. So um, that's always, you know, I'm always going to do everything I can to pay that service to these characters because people deserve it. And that's part of being a creator. That's awesome. We think it pays off. I'm giving a standing ovation. <laughs> Yeah, I can like it. hear that. I can hear the standing ovation. Yeah, no, I think it <laughs> is, really does show through. And is that something like very specific to to DC? I mean, have you experienced that in other you know stories that you've done? I'm, I think that's kind of the the big question I have. Is that something that's like you are making sure to go out doing, or is it just so happened that like the creative process and DC creator community that makes it easier? Um, I'm only umming that because I feel like it's kind of <laughs> a combination of both, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I like that, that sounds, that's not, I don't mean to give you a cop-out answer other than like, you know, there's no mandate. I don't think it is. Well, so there's no mandate to do these things, but without DT, without our talent summits and things, I wouldn't know half the people I'm friends with uh, or even associates with where I can reach out to them, uh, which which is the reason I say it is a little bit of both, right? Like I would, I would want, to, I, I want to do this at all times, and I want to, you know, use the people I know and connect with the people I know to make my work stronger at all times. Uh, that said, without the community that that working at DC has allowed me, the connections I've made and the faces to names that I've put. Whether it was at the, you know, whether it's when we get together uh, at the office, whether we get together at convention. You know, it's a laundry list of people who I consider some of my closest friends in comics that I would never know if I hadn't come to D.C. So it really is both, you know. I mean, I met the, I met Gene, um, for example, just because I mentioned him, uh, at, at a D.C. talent summit uh, for the DCU, the DCYOU launch for Midnighter. 
So, and the same same with Dave Walker, who I who I try to talk to as much as possible. Uh, you know, and I wouldn't you have I wouldn't have the opportunity to reach out to them if it weren't for these books. So it really is a combination of all those things. There's no mandate to do it, but also without these this sort of community, I wouldn't have the possibility to reach opportunity to. I don't think that's a cop-out answer at all. I, I actually think that's a, it's a good solid one. Um, it's all, it's always interesting to hear, like try to, to find out like what are the differences between some of the publishers and the experiences and stuff like that. So, um, but that's, that's really great to hear that you're able to do that and you, you feel comfortable and everyone else is like willing to, to chip in and, and give those perspectives. Well, you know, we all, and I should point out as well, we're all comics creators and we all work from home, so we have a lot of time to talk during the day when, like, our partners are big boy jobs. Uh, You know, I spend a lot of time time talking to Josh Williamson, like, what are you doing? Yeah, you know, like, so. So there is ample opportunity. The bullpen 2.0, the bullpen, perhaps even bullpen 3.0, as it were. The what? It's the comics bullpen 3.0. Yeah, I mean. bullpen version 3.0, yeah. It's like, you know, oh, I have something to do on Friday, man. I haven't left the house in like four days. What the, what's, what, what is the world? And, and these are real conversations we have. So uh, there's plenty of time talk to people is what I'm saying in comics. It's a glamorous life, uh, one that all should try. <laughs> um, I want to, well, we have you, I, you know, we did not have a chance to talk about your Midnighter and Apollo series together. Well, we talked about Midnighter, but we did not talk about the Midnighter and Apollo series together. I was hoping we could take a little bit of time to talk about that now, if that's okay. Fine with me. It's available in trade paperback form at comic and bookstores everywhere. Um, <laughs> so I just want to first thank you for being the guy who brought back Subway Pirates from Graham Morrison's Overa of yore. Um, as a New Yorker, a fan of pirates, a fan of metropolitan transit systems, I truly believe that the Subway Pirates are the great, greatest, greatest gifts in a long time. And sometimes he's like, Really great idea people to sort of forget them when they get left behind. You're the man who brought back Extraño. You're the man who brought back Subway Pirates. Like, I, I, your, your de- great depth of DC Comics knowledge is definitely paying off, but I just, like, have to shout out that particular reference there. And you're not even mad I moved them to L.A. for that one scene. So that's exciting. No, like, it's a culture that, like, can be, in, you know, the Subway Pirate culture can be in, like, more than one place, you know? <laughs> I agree. I mean, um, they'll show up in the metro system in DC at some point. I man, we well, don't need any more problems in the DC metro. <laughs> the DC metro. Perhaps the pirates could make people finally fix the metro. <laughs> the DC, the DC metro is so clean compared to New York that I feel like they could never sneak in there. There are no ratings. There's a lot of fires but, on it now. Like, it's literally yeah, falling to pieces. Unless it's been a while since you've been there, Steve. But the federal <laughs> government has been deliberately starving it of money to punish D.C. for being very, very gay and very, very brown. And as a result, the city's metropolitan transit system, which hardworking people use day in and day out, is getting – it's uh, it's been punished. It's being punished well, like, as if it was an entity. 
Grant, I have not been on that subway in like eight years, but I have been on the New York subway like eight days ago, and it is, uh, I love it very much, but there is a, you can find a lot of things while staring at the tracks there, which is part of the charm, by the way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, we we don't have that. We just have to worry about fires and derailments and God oh. knows what else going on. I'm I mean, telling you, Brett, it's actually the pirates. We now know it's the pirates. It's the <laughs> it could pirates. Be. This is true. <laughs> you know, fire is an alternative element. It's not real. So, uh, yeah. But I, um, but well, thank you. I mean, I I was I I, I you know. I was happy to bring them back. Very happy about Extraño too. That was like my, my, my main, besides everything that happens in Midnight at Apollo, probably the main goal for the book is to get him back and, you know, cool. Uh, cool again, cool for the first time. I'll leave that up to mm-hmm. you, but back is was the main key. Well, he's like definitely cool. Like, wow, look at that silver fox with his awesome uh, Peruvian lair and excellent fashion sense. So, that 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 has been cemented in our minds is this mysterious angel linked child. Like, what more do you really look for in a in a magician, right? Oh, you forgot. Um, but, you forgot. Forgot. Um, you forgot where Tasmanian Devil husband. Oh, I did. I that's that's complicated and I and, and intriguing. Do you, will they be perhaps making another appearance in future? Uh, part of the series. Oh, well, there's one issue left, and I'm pretty sure it's out like next week. So you will not have to wait long to find out. Yay! Looking forward for that. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Midnight or Apollo series. It definitely put the characters in a different place, different scenario than we'd seen them before. It was much more in the like, I don't know, like almost like a Neil Gaiman part of the DC universe. And it also like you you write you write you write DC comics where it's clear that you're like actually engaging and thinking about how this works with what other folks have done, even if it isn't on the big titles. Like this comic book exists in dialogue with uh, Hellraiser, John Constantine Hellraiser series, like the recent one, which makes me very happy because I also loved that and didn't think enough people acknowledged that that one existed. Um, so I, I feel like this is a comic you're bringing together some different interesting parts of the DC universe. And just just making everything as clear as possible in the process of doing that. Well, thank you. I mean, that's my. I don't know that I always accomplish it, but uh, you know, my hope is always. I try to do books where I think some people find like continuity and all these things intimidating. But uh, when I was when I was first getting the comics, it was. I mean, there was a ton of it but it was engrossing to me. So my hope is that you pick up books and, and as you said, like maybe you don't know that the subway pirates appeared in seven soldiers. Maybe you don't know about Extraño. Uh, maybe you don't know about the Mauser. And if you don't, hopefully we give you enough in the books to enjoy them, uh, you know, and everything you need to enjoy them. But maybe you do then, you know, look them up on the internet or something and you find out there's more to explore and I hope it's, you know, when it's done right and when uh, in a perfect world it is seamless and you can have both experiences. And, and to me, that's how the books are extra rewarding, you know, because I, I have always been engaged with something when I'm dropped in the middle of something. 
I'm, I'm always fond of saying that, like, when I started JLA, when I'm reading it, you know, Superman was bright blue, Wonder Woman was Hippolyta, you know, I think the Flash happened to have his legs broken at that time uh, from, from the Wade run, like, all of these status quo uh, <laughs> things different, and I it, it was engrossing to me to go and find out and see how those things happened. So I hope, uh, and, and then meet these characters. You know, I didn't even know who Hawkman was, and, uh, except for the fact that uh, um, Aquaman thought that Zoriel was Hawkman when I first began reading comics, you know, and imagine diving down the Hawkman wormhole of, of reincarnation and Hawk God and all these things. All you can just, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is true. Always That's more, how we enjoyed comics as a kid. Like, everything was in the middle of things, and we, we figured it out anyway. I mean, I, I didn't grow up with DC. I really grew up with Marvel, but it was like, you just were like, I suppose there's a reason why he keeps, Cable keeps saying the word body slide. There's no internet, so I'll have to figure this out through process of elimination. Um, and digging around in those ways, but I forgot about body slide. That was a bizarre turn of phrase for a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> it was just as bizarre reading it in individual comics issues with people with very tiny feet. But anyhow, um, yeah, no. I, the other thing I wanted to you actually you actually really sort of elaborated this earlier. I want to talk about the cultural significance of explicit off-panel gay sex in um, the Midnight or an Apollo series. I mean, you definitely have like, explicit off-panel sex, like semi-on-panel sex, whatever. But it's not—it's like rated R uh, with, with, within your stories before, and it's definitely like important to your work you know, as like, like as a creator. And I, I'd love to hear you talk about that a bit more in your own words. Well, so is it rated R? Like that's my uh, so. And that's why I well, no, there's it. no, there's no. It's, I guess it's not. It's a sort of I don't know. It's I'm not sure how that those things go with movies anymore. And I only well, watch cartoons is, now. But this is what I was going to say. And the reason I say that is because my my hope, you know, is, and I've been answering this question since, which is no slight on you guys, but I, you know, the question has come up since Midnighter started of well, how will you deal with the, the gay sex? Um, but what about the gay sex? And you know. Honestly, I felt from the beginning that we should be treating it exactly like the straight sex, uh, which is well. I guess my point we... is that there isn't a lot of straight sex in comics either right now. Like, and uh, I think it's good to. Per- there, I mean, there isn't, right? Like, we, you well, know, so much of what the stuff that was there was done really, really cheesily, and like people just sort of were like, ah, actually, there is other ways we can be doing these things because it wasn't done very well. I, I, I think that. Um, also, a lo- the vast majority of the LGBTQ comics content right now that people really celebrate is aimed at, is really all ages aimed. So for me, I think it's like actually refreshing to have something which is not supposed, which is not like being catered for like you know children. Even though I have no problem with kids reading any of this, I like saw whatever I wanted at any age. But this is also like you're not like trying to make people's parents be like, oh, this is okay, you can have this. You're just having this be like an actual piece that will resonate with people based on them being adults or well, teens or what have and, you. Yes, and I should point out as well that things have changed. You are right. Uh, we did launch out of Grayson, which had like a woman screaming dick in a splash page. Um, so we felt from the beginning of Midnighter that, you know, we could go pretty much anywhere we wanted to. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh-huh. Oh, sorry, I did not hear what you said for a couple of seconds. It digitized. You said yeah. after it launched out of degrees, out of Grayson, it involved a woman screaming dick over a course of a splash page, and then I did not hear what you said after that. Well, after that, we figured we could go pretty much anywhere we wanted to with that after, with that as a precedent, you know, um, and and uh, and and did. But yeah, I mean that, that was, and I don't mean to say like. It's weird to say, like, treat it like the straight sex What I really mean is, is that anything that you could see, my goal has always been, and it's a form of equality, right? Like, not a form of, it is. Like, to me, if we're, if we're really treating these things as equal, anything that you could see Green Arrow and Black Canary doing in a book, you could see Medina Apollo doing in a book. Analogously, like, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. uh, parts, uh, you know, <laughs> that's a whole different conversation, but you know what I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. When it comes to because they're if, if these char- if these characters are equal, then then they should be able to get the same the same visibility when it comes to their romance in all the same ways. And you know, a lot can happen in comics. I definitely remember uh, when I picked up Kevin Smith's Green Arrow, like Green Arrow run, probably almost twenty years now. I will never forget that the first issue had him going down on Black Canary, and then she shoots him with the sink faucet after. And uh, and as a child, I legitimately did not know what was happening there until like, but now I know. As a teenager, uh, I said, "Wow, I like this series. I will continue to purchase it." But yes, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I guess what, I, what I'm trying to say though is that I like I like that you don't feel like you have to make everything in this. This is a very violent comic, and it's a lot more gory than many of the other titles that are out when you go into those places there's real horror imagery like you're not trying to make something that is like bland and marketable for all audiences all people um and i think it's a more artistic piece of work for as a as a product of, of that as well well thank you i mean yeah you know the fact i i've you know this and all things, and I, and and not just me, but all but all creators too. Like, I really think if you try to make something that appeals, and I, God, I think I said this. I think I've said this phrase when you had me on for Undertow, by the way. Um, I think if you try to create something that appeals to everyone a little bit, you end up with something that affects people that that doesn't affect anyone greatly. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you get get Transformers four. And I'm never trying to, which <laughs> I fell asleep in. Uh, so I'm never trying to make that, and none of us should be. You know, there's there's room for a lot of books. Uh, and I'm really glad to hear you say that about Midnight Air and Midnight or Apollo because that's, you know, that's what we're trying, that is exactly what we're trying to do. And actually, I would also add this point, which sort of is something which I, I forget sometimes, like, as someone who lives in Bridges on Twitter, there's entire conversations that I might come into a podcast thinking folks have been a part of that they might not have been if they're primarily engaging in the comics uh, fan dialogue through what, through reading, through listening to the show and just going to their store. But there definitely was conversation that folks had with respect to that, to the uh, Menander and Apollo sex scene. And I guess it's issue, issue one of the series together um, about like the specific uh, decisions of how you wanted to show them hooking up. And it was funny because, I had interpreted the the illustration as just you being like people are having sex and it's not your business who does what because there's like a lot of I think purient and sexist in the traditional sense 
um, fascination on the part of heterosexual people about, like, what... No, and I wouldn't just say heterosexual people. I say, like, women and heterosexual men uh, have, like, purient fixations on, like, the specifics of gay male sex, whereas heterosexual people and and men in general have, like, purient fixation on what are the specifics of women having sex with other women. Um, so I thought it was – so I had sort of taken your uh, people fucking on a counter scene as sort of like, and this is not your business about what's what, because what people do in bed is not a reflection of, like, their personality in these ways, and we're not going to – but you actually were doing quite the opposite thing, as was clear from the conversation that folks were having on Twitter – and we're, in fact, uh, making a statement with that as well. Yeah, I mean, so, and, and in all honesty, like, a lot of these things I leave, I, I don't, uh, I do think it's important to say that you, you know, to be frank, like, there is, to sort of disrupt the uh, stereotype of, of emasculinity and, and bottoming. So there's always that. And I, we talked about that when I was on for Virgil, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like these scenes, I leave very, barring the, like who is doing what I leave these scenes uh, open to, to the art team. Uh, and they always come out actually more intimate than uh than I usually script, which is a great thing because I give I give them room. So a lot of the actual staging of that uh, is 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 on the part of Fernando, um, and and I again like I I don't I don't I have no problem giving that up to him and how he accomplished that beautifully because we are a team, and the same goes for ACO in in, in the romantic scenes and in, in Midnighter as well. Um, mm-hmm. So you know I I I, I give the goalposts for lack of a better phrase, but um, I never try to manage uh, the artists I'm working with too much because when you give that sort of leeway, uh, you always get something better. And that is not to say that I, I, I left it up to, to chance to see who was doing what in that scene, but how it appears, uh, I think he really put out there beautifully. And you sort of have that moment where the camera's just catching them before it pans away. Um, and, and, and that couldn't have been there without him. So it's, 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 it's both of us sort of deciding what's going on and then how to, how to do things in a respectful, subtle way instead of just, you know, bashing people over the head with it. Hopefully that's my hope. Speaking of the artists uh, with all the different page layouts that were very unconventional, um, whether it was the board game page layouts or the subway car fight scenes, um, you know, you've definitely had a lot of uh, circum uh, concentric circles, uh, laid out panels in the earlier Midnighter series. When you're when you guys are doing this, is this the, are are you suggesting to the artist like this is going to be a board game? Maybe you could have it be a board game sort of layout, or is he coming up with this? Is, is um, Fernando Blanco coming up with this on his own in this case, or how does that come out to be? No, almost all Fernando. I mean, like because these are the spots. Like I think that so you know from 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 a practical standpoint, um, I would feel very bad as the writer. Uh, dropping in some of the things that hey Fernando do twelve panel pages and do like a do like a Monopoly board of violets and this and and never see the sun like I I would I would be uh, an asshole uh, in many ways to script them onto them um, but instead I mean like these are the things that we we talk about the themes of the book 
and then you know it, which is usually the beginning of the script and 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 then these things come out of you know the the concentric circles you talked about in ACO uh come out of our conversations from the beginning of Midnighter about how we were going to depict uh the way that he sees the world and the way that he notices things i'm thinking especially of his sort of like radar scene in issue 3 where he is noticing all the different things in a, in a child's room and in the case of a lot of the things in um Midnight at Apollo, it's about the themes of the book. It's about the set pieces that are going to be in the issue, but then it's also about me stepping back and giving him the freedom to establish a style that is wholly his own, especially coming into the book after ACO. It was about immediately showing people, uh, giving that, that he too can be inventive and innovative with these panels, but in a way that is totally different than ACO. So, um, I think, you know, when Fernando looks at the script, he realizes what the key parts of it are and, and how these things can play out on a more meta, on a more design and meta-textual level when it comes to the layout. Um, but I really do step back for those things because I think, you know, that you will always get a better product when you step back and you trust and respect your collaborators. So um, other people might say different things. I don't, you know, the, you know there are people that turn in scripts or comics that are 160 pages long and mine are still longer than others. But I definitely want to say that these things come to life uh, because of conversations I have with, with, in this case, Fernando. And then after that, uh, the sort of trust to step back and let him create his own language for the book. Hmm. Cool. Um, I also really like that when they're having when Apollo is having his showdown with um, Neuron, he's like people's sexual orientation is not even part of the quote sins quote that he's being accused of, that it's strictly respect to things that he may or may not have done that are actually negotiable in terms of whether or not they're sins. Um, It's nice to like not have to relitigate that argument all over again in every place, you know? Um, So I wasn't sure if there was a particular choice you made for that, but for me, I was like, yay, we're not going to make it be about that. That's really great because, like, we don't have to – well, I don't know. I had my own feelings about why it was a good choice, but I wasn't sure if you had thoughts you wanted to add about that as well. No, I think that it can be read either way. I mean, I agree with you. Like, there, there's no need to have another talk of, like, you know, men you know, men sleeping with men, welcome to hell. But at the same time, there is a layer, I think, to the way that Neron refers to uh, Apollo and Midnighter's relationship that is passively derisive and dismissive, which I also did on purpose. You know, there are people in my mm-hmm. life still refer to my partner as nothing but my friend. Uh, you know, and are, there are things like that, and you'll notice that that's often how uh, how how Neron refers to Midnighter, um, that hopefully do ping people, uh, you know, uh, in, in a sort of microaggressive way, without again doing. Well, yeah, exactly he uses the word L, like he uses the L word. You know, he's like says lifestyle, but I like that it could be interpreted as like superheroing itself, actually. Exactly. So, and that is why I thought we could sort of hit some of the hit some of the the flashpoint words uh, that that get thrown at us. But at the same time, 
give the ambiguity where it, 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 it can be about their, their greater whole. I mean, and not do essentially what you're saying, which is to just have to be a book about putting queerness on trial. It's been done. Uh, so um, I, I hope that it sort of, it gives little hints to that. And maybe again, a richer, more detailed way with things like, you know, it was important to me that he, he calls midnight of his friend because I get that shit all the time. And it's, uh, and it's, mm. and it's just, and and so there are those moments in there, um, but again, it is about their greater choices. It was important to me in general, with all, you know, between the eighteen issues of both series, that it's pretty rare that people attack them for being gay. You know, we have a, you know, a scene in issue two of Midnighter where that happens, and and that's over in two pages. That doesn't that doesn't go very long, because I think you know as a community we're we're ready to move on from that. There are there are people that have told me, oh, well, you know, the Midnighter should just all be about him killing homophobes because that's what the book is about. And I say, oh, well, thanks for solving that for me, old writer man. Uh, but um, I disagree because, you know, that story's been told uh, and, and we're ready to sort of move on from that. We're ready to have, to be frank, we're in, in the taken to the logical extreme, we're ready to have stories. Uh, we're not punished for being queer anymore. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're Jack Twist caved in with a tire iron. Uh, and, and you know, as you've seen, this is a book where Midnighter tells the devil that he answers to him, which was very important to me, uh, maybe even more yeah. so than I, that happens in, in the other book. Hmm. That's really great to hear. Yeah. You know, I say with the, the series, um, you know, obviously it's gotten huge praise. And you know, up for Glad Awards and stuff like that. Like, as a creator, how does that feel to um, to you know, get that sort of accolade and, and recognition for for those series? Uh, I mean, it feels great. I mean, of course, it feels great. <laughs> like, there's 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 it would be ludicrous to say anything else. But at the same time, uh. I would be, I, I'm not doing the book for that, you know. Uh, I, I, I'm doing the book for more of the things that you were talking about earlier, uh, Alana, you know, with, with the Ray, people who, uh, again, want to pick up a book and feel empowered and, 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 and validated in, in whatever there is going on in their life. Uh, and, and, yeah, I mean, awards are wonderful, and I would never shade those things, but uh, without being too kitsch, Awards are more when I when people contact me on social media and say like that this is something they need, you know, uh, because that's really you know not just what comics are for, but that's what fiction is for, especially when you're not getting it from your life, when you're not getting it from your from your leaders in the real world. So, you know, the most important thing, you know, Midnight Apollo. Honestly, I almost didn't, I almost didn't want to put it out after Orlando because. I was worried about the the subject matter and 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 obviously Apollo gets shot in the first issue, but then I thought about it and like I gave this interview with the Advocate soon after and I didn't even realize uh, when I was asked the question about you know why we need this book now like I was like yelling at the poor guy unexpectedly uh, about uh, and Jace Peebles wonderful wonderful guy. Uh, very patient with me, but I was getting like very emotional about it because uh, I was like, no, we need this book more than ever. You know, we need 
a book, especially now for people who are feeling afraid in the, in, in the queer community. And by the way, now feeling afraid in the whole country, uh, yeah. that's a look evil in the eye and you can give it the middle finger because these guys did. And, and it was, it was, it, that's, that's why we're putting the book out. That's why I'm happy that it will always exist, you know, now that it's published. Uh, and I didn't really realize it, um, honestly, until I was talking to Jace for that interview, as I was like, you know, getting all trembly on the phone, and I realized I was like, yelling in my apartment about it. But because I just think that that's like more than ever why these books need to happen, and that's why I think like this Marvel need to happen, uh, you know, um, more than awards, which are great, and it, and it does show that people are noticing it. Sometimes books just need to happen, and that's what's that's what's really important to me, and and that's what will continue to be important to me. Well, thank thank you so much for sharing that and for and for coming on to discuss it. You know, I definitely like I'm very happy to see that your work is continuing to take greater and greater prominence in the world of superhero comics, and that there'll be more more of this to come and different readerships that will be able to see it now and. I'm definitely excited to have the Ray on my list of comics for like people who I know who have kids to tell that they should get for their kids and happy to have Midnighter for a comic for them to not get for their kids until they're, you know, a little older. And, um, <laughs> and, and um, yeah. And to just have that happening right now, is very exciting. And, ne- and like you said, very necessary right now too. I mean, I um, hope so, man. I hope, uh, you know, people read Midnight at Apollo and they all go buy a duster and are ready to give assholes the finger, uh, like, because you have to, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, and, and it is, you know, we never actually got onto the politics side of graphic policy that much uh, in this, in this <laughs> interview, you know, it's going to be, oh, we have it. It's going to be a long four years, one way or another, and, you know, these characters that I write, that we read, haven't given up in 75 years, and I think we need that perspective, because it's going to be a fight, man. (laughs) Um, It already is, but um, I think we can't lose sight of that. Like, yeah, we're just making comics and it's things blowing up and, and that and all that. But, you know, at the same time, um, a page, the right page of a book, it doesn't have to be a comic or whatever, can drive someone, you know, and, and change their perspective. I used to, uh, and this is a stupid story, um, I used to read uh, Jenny Sparks' death scene uh, in The Authority uh, before every big swim meet I had in high school and college just because I found it so moving and I found her agency in that book so impressive. Uh, and, and you know, that, that character inspired me to do real things, even if real things were just, you know, surviving doing the doing the 200 fly uh, it's a small scale thing, um, <laughs> but you know these things are important uh, to remind us that 
to remind us that we can keep doing this because it's going to be, you know, we're protesting now and we're speaking our minds now, but I worry about, uh, I worry about fatigue, you know, and we can't mm-hmm. afford because it has only been, as of today, one month. Yeah, it's it's been, I mean, like, it, it's literally unsustainable for me to continue to do my job as I have and everybody else who I work with is in the same exact position as me. Like, it's not possible to maintain this because everybody's operating at the same level that, like, you normally do right before an election, except there's no, there's no E-Day to come. It's just the ongoing, the ongoing thing. And, you know, like, we try to, have like you're going to launch something it's going to be significant and then there's another ice raid and like they're just going to keep showing up at people's houses and stealing people uh, and trying to figure out how do we maintain our ability to function while also addressing everything as it comes is incredibly daunting but one of the key pieces honestly is like we just need more people to be involved and I you know I've had a number of friends of mine who don't work in who don't do this stuff, you know, for, they don't work in politics. They don't work it for movement jobs in general. They're, you know, they, they, they share my politics, but have to do other kinds of things for a living, feeling like super overwhelmed with what they can do. And I want to feel like what I said to them is like, you can start doing some stuff and nobody is asking you to do everything. Nobody is expecting one person to do everything or to do it all or to save the world, but everybody could be doing more than they're doing right now. The exception being my coworkers who cannot actually do more than we're doing right now, <laughs> but everyone else can. And that, that, to recognize that like we're not expecting you as an individual to single-handedly do things but we are calling on everyone as a whole to step up to do more than they had done before um and the exciting thing is in this moment people are doing that together in ways that they haven't seen before and that um there's there's such a good people are treating each other very well in lots of different ways um within uh movement and activism stuff that i haven't that I, I don't necessarily see people doing all the time because um, I think people recognize that this is a long struggle and that um, we have to take care of each other. And I think that that's a positive thing to see folks uh, treating each other well in that moment. Um, I mean, it, it, there was something in my organization's mission statement um, about how we have to take care of ourselves because we know that this is not the struggle for justice is not, is not brief. Um, but uh, seeing a lot more people come forward and do things that they haven't done before is really essential. Uh, we had an allies meeting on Thursday. We had 400 people show up, um, like to volunteer, basically, um, and that's pretty incredible. 400 people. So I think that you were bringing up a very good point, and I hope that we'll have the, the characters and fiction that we'll need to sustain us in the fight moving forward. Um, yeah. No, we have to, you know, uh, but luckily one could say it's only been a month, but it's also already a month down. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the way I have to look at it, you know, um, but I think that uh, it is interesting. I'm interested. I'll actually pose a question to you guys. I know you're trying to wrap up, but like, it's weird because I do really think that. No, we don't. We uh, don't need to wrap up. We're good. 
Well, I need to wrap. I need. I need to wrap up at some point. So uh, <laughs> you need to wrap up. <laughs> yeah. Like I think there's a line, and 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 I don't really mean this. I don't even know what I mean. So I'm more putting it out. I'm I'm flipping the the direction of the com- of the of the interview now. Like I think I think you know I have been told you know during the Chelsea Kane thing. Uh, I had mentioned that comics save people's lives and some jack-off that found me and was like, oh, comics save lives. Could you be any more pretentious? And to which I said, absolutely. Uh, But, but, you know, that aside, I I, I feel like we we all skim a line that I never intend to of like, yes, I think it's fiction and these things are important. They're so important and they do save lives. But I wonder, and I worry myself, and hopefully I haven't gotten there, of falling into that, which I think is a bullshit argument, of like, oh, at least the art will be great for the next four years. Which... Yeah, it's the most offensive bullshit thing ever. <laughs> Fuck off. Like, people will be dying. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like, I think it's important to say that I do, you know, I do truly, and I, and I want both of your opinions on it, but I do truly think that like these characters and these things are vitally important. They're not the only thing though. And, 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 and I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like they, they need to inspire real people and real action and speak to real, the real struggle because it is so much greater than just comics. Um, but it, it, you know, but fiction is still part of the puzzle. Am I making sense? I don't know. Like, Absolutely. I mean, look, the thing I would point to is like we saw, we see in protests people dressed as Captain America you know, we not, not and the you know real cap, not not bullshit hydro cap. And we see, and you know, we see people with Kamala Khan signs at rallies. We saw so many Princess Leia's. Like the symbols that are developed through popular culture are powerful, and they resonate with people. And they are stories that we write ourselves into, um, and they're absolutely essential. So, and I, you know, I. So many people have personal stories about comics, like literally saving their lives. But I can say, even aside from that, simply having stories of like pluralistic groups of people uh, where that diversity is part of their strength is useful and instructive. And that having these powerful cultural totems are part of how we talk about being American. You know, Um, I'm kind of organizing like a a Twitter thing now dealing with, uh, you know, Ms. Uh, Ms. Marvel and, 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 and Ms. America and how, like, they're kind of the standard bearers, actually, of American, of, like, Captain America today, since that's not what Captain America is doing in the comics. Um, and, I, I mean, it's amazing to see, like, the diversity of people who have really taken some of these symbols of their own and, uh, and how powerful that and how powerful that is. Um, and, holy oh, Christ, I should have, my, my boss is daughter is a big Ms. Marvel fan and um, she's young she's like I don't know like nine and she was saying and she was putting together her like post-Trump organizing plan for her and her peers and she said it was very important for everybody to read Ms. Marvel and this is not me telling her this this is like a little girl you know who has a mom runs an immigrant rights organization but like coming up with this herself to say like Ms. Marvel was an important thing for everyone to know and understand because she's the American superhero and she's Muslim and you can be all of those things at the same time. Um, so, 
that was a long way to answer that, but I think you're completely right. I yeah, mean, Honestly, my, but the one thing I would add is that, I mean, to me, you know, beyond the escapism, I mean, like we, we need the ability to turn off and, and be entertained and, and be engrossed um, and beyond the whole uh, of entertainment can be uh, do an amazing job at, at teaching lessons and acting as an allegory. Face it, like entertainment has the ability to normalize and mainstream things unlike anything else uh out there uh-huh. you know one of the i think i would i still argue this is one of the, the biggest things for lgbt rights was you know ellen degeneres and the ellen show and and will and grace and that uh-huh. put those type of characters in people's living rooms weekly and they got to know them like friends and they were able to get to you know accept them and and it it became just an average Seen they experience even though they might not have had any LGBT friends in their lives, and you know I I, I think to some extent you're seeing Blackish do a very similar thing. Um, uh-huh. You know the entertainment as a whole beyond the the protest, like beyond the sending a message and and you know dressing up as Captain America or that imagery for protest or whatever. Entertainment is the easiest way, and I think one of the the probably the cheapest ways to mass normalize and 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 make these things like we don't even think about them, uh, and, and do it in a way that people don't even recognize and, and see that's going on. Um, and, and you know, I think a lot of the issues that we see today are things we don't we haven't seen on TV like, you know, or, or, or movies or wherever. And the more that we can make that happen in comics and television and movies, you know, the, the easier it will get to that, you know, one issue will go away and there'll be more issues down the road. But, you know, there's, there's that power that I, I think so few people either recognize or accept or willing to admit that, you know, as, as a writer, as, as a creator of TV shows, as producers or whatever, there is, some sort of um, responsibility not to ref- not just reflect society because I mean let's face it it'd be impossible to really reflect everything in society but to at least sit there and say I'm going to make this look more like society to get to the point that we don't even think about that that it's it's normal and that it is something that we experience without even thinking about it and and we'll, by doing that we get to that point where we don't even think about it. And it's just a you know average thing that we see in our lives, um, and, and and for me like that's that's the power that entertainment needs to focus on. And it's not you know specific allegories about Trump and uh, and what's going on in the world, but just putting out situations so that we that those people who are in you know middle America and red state areas that might not have an African-American person within a hundred miles of them uh, could see this entertainment and connect in that way so that they do feel like there's someone around them. And I think there's just, that gets lost in, I think the, the big picture of things. Hmm. And, and, and the best, you know, I'll, 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 I'll wrap it on something hopeful, which is to say that I think that you're totally right. And um, you know, for all of for all of people's cries for boycott, you know, Force Awakens came out, and my eight-year-old cousin, who is a boy, 
Justin's Ray is awesome. Yeah. And I, I'm so I know glad that, you're related to somebody who is so correct. This is great. Sounds, <laughs> runs in the family. Being correct. That sounds, I know that sounds basic, but the fact that she's a girl doesn't even really enter his mind. Uh, mm-hmm. You know? So... I, no, you know, it's totally not I basic. Like we had to fight the studio. We had to fight not the studio. We had to fight the marketing departments who told people that you know little boys like your cousin wouldn't want to have Ray because she was a girl and therefore had cooties of some sort. Like so, it, it's you know showing that families and, and children actually don't think that women are terrible and disgusting and gross and actually are heroic and can be related to by people who aren't men, who are not women themselves is still shockingly radical so yeah um you know and then we'll we'll wean him on a minute you know he's only eight but we'll, <laughs> we'll um but that was that, that's my that's my main thought about that i don't know i i so many people are saying oh but what about the art and it's not really about that <laughs> you know <laughs> no it, it's the most that's like the most privileged delusional perspective to take on it like um i mean look, look i think that there's a key if you're going to say what about the art here's what here's the meanest thing i'll say uh if you're going to say what about you know but the art um you know sometimes you're right you know like my favorite author is and i think one of the greatest authors ever is mikhail bulgakov and he said you know oh but the art and then he died for it um you know Sometimes that can count. choice that he made, you know what I mean? I mean, and I think the distinction is, like, you can look and say, like, okay, Casablanca, truly one of the greatest movies ever made, actually, you know, works as uh, propaganda for democracy and anti-fascist propaganda and is a beautiful story, et cetera. Um, But Jewish people didn't get to make movies when they were in Auschwitz. So, like, you know, does the existence of, like, it's not like you can say, you know, and, and there have been other great movies that were made since and before that weren't predicated on the existence of Nazi concentration camps. You know what I mean? So, like, yes, hum- the humans will turn tragedy into art, and humans will use crises as moments for making important statements about said crises, but none of thing is dependent on that being the case. And for those of people who are most endangered and most oppressed, you like can't actually even make art under those circumstances. And the people who are most endangered and most oppressed in this moment are generally also the people you want to have making your art. Cause like, you know, and that's, and that's, the golf team is really not, is really not where it's at. They're not going to be making the, the art that's a significance to people. So well, that's what I, that, that's more what I meant when I said that is that, you know, the people that are actually making quote, the art aren't, don't know they're making it right now uh, because they, they have to, and it's not like a marketing decision, which is really what I meant about Borgakov. I mean, cause mm. you know, uh, he, well, I, I've read Soviet Russia, especially under Stalin was a tough place to say the least. And most of the stuff that he did was posthumous. And I just feel kind of in the way that you said that like a lot of that sentiment comes from people in a place of privilege where, you know, there is no danger to them. And, you know, you can never, I feel like if you intend to create those things, it it, it never really works out, you know, 
because it doesn't come from a true place of need. And as you said, the people that we want doing that are the people that need to do that and maybe don't have access right now or won't. Um, and maybe yeah, we'll only find out. Mm-hmm. Hmm? No, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay, same. And, and, and we, you know, the people that are doing stuff that's vital during these times, we might not know about it for 10 or 20 years until we find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm – I think this situation and, oh, I mean, it's probably a whole other show for another conversation at some point. I, I'm convinced the thing that's going to come out of the, the current situation isn't going to be some brilliant art and amazing thing. It's going to be some new paradigm as far as organizing or tools are going to be created because um, – and a lot of kind of hint, you know, hinted at or not even hinted, just straight up said – is I mean she's saying what I'm saying is that there is a, an outpouring of people who want to get involved so that to the level that I, I don't think organizations know what the hell to do because they've never seen this uh-huh. sort of engagement before. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that the, you know while there's always these people and I I made the crack as a joke of the you know at least we're going to get some solid art out of this or some good music. Um, I think this time around, my gut says it's not. That's not what we're going to see. What we're going to see is a, a new paradigm of how to to organize and connect, and um, I won't say new community, but it's almost kind of kind of going to feel like that to some extent. It'll be interesting to see how that bleeds into art um, down the road, because I mean, community community. Um, and and some, somehow it's gonna it's gonna pop up and, and cross over and intersect. Yeah, I mean, I a new form of connectivity would be amazing. I don't know. I I, I, I almost I mean I, I couldn't agree more, and almost like can't even wrap my head around how like hijacking of social media with with you know with bots and with and with with you know gimmick accounts has just sort of hijacked reality for so many people so a new paradigm i think is desperately needed you know i don't even know how to tell uh, you know half the time when i get these like firebrand responses from people if they're even real people um mm. you know and yeah, we yeah, we need to find a way around that, like you're saying, and then we will. Yeah. by the way, and that's gonna be <laughs> part of it. It'll be, I, you know, I don't know. It, 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 there's gonna be something. I, I don't know if it is going to be some paradigm of some new tool that's gonna pop up somehow, or maybe we just get back to basics. I think that's the thing that's really interesting is that for all the organizing that's going on and you know Lana said that 400 people showed up in person and to get people out and in, in come out in person is a, a pretty high ask like that's not an easy thing well, to do use, as an organizer we use, we, well yes but we did use online sign up forms promote things right. on facebook yep, yep. had people text had people text the word roads to 52886 um to get on a list list um but yeah and then the end of the day it's to put people in person together in one place yeah, and I think the the, the in person organizing and the one that one on one connection is going to be the the really interesting to thing to see how it evolves because I mean the 
in my opinion, on the, in the being, you know, God knows how many cycles now in, in politics, it was that one-on-one connection. Like you went door to door and you talked to people and then it turned into now I'm going to phone bank and I'm going to talk to people who are co- completely across the country and I have no connection to. And I feel like there's almost a, a backlash to that in a, in a good way where things are, are getting back more into the in-person organizing, which it, personally I think is just way more effective. Um, so it's, it, it's interesting to see things kind of go back and forth, especially over the years and, and how many years it's been. Um, it, you know, it swayed one way and it now feels like it's swaying another. Well, it's hard to hack analogs, you know. Um, but the face-to-face, I think, is, you know, you guys were saying, uh, and, and we're so far down the rabbit hole now, but I think the <laughs> people who never met a person of color, the face-to-face, I think, with so many of these things and initiatives, does make all the difference. You know, because I can't tell you how many people even from, you know, central New York, where I'm from, uh, treat a lot of the issues that are at stake now as if they're just, like, philosophical debates. Mm-hmm. Um, they can afford to. Because they've, you know, never met anyone that's not like them. And you can't do that when you when you know people that are directly affected by it. At least not everyone. I mean, I, you know, I know parents with, with queer kids that have appeared in photographs and on Fox News with Trump. So certainly people are incapable of consuming their young. Um, but I think in general, it is harder to, to sort of make these sort of decisions inward and decisions based on self-interest when you really have a face to the people that are uh, going to be affected by it. Uh, and, and, you know, not impossible, you know, the true hate is true hate, but I think it's harder for a lot of people mm-hmm. once they know. I agree. I think, I, mean, I, I think things like that are key, you know, um, and it is kind of, you know, like what you're saying, how many people have, how, how much is the movement towards support for same sex marriage been about the fact that more people are coming out and now we have visibility. So, you know, every, it's hard to be someone that doesn't know someone that is queer and you feel for it then. You have a you have a primal empathy for that person. Um, so I, I, I hope uh, that, that that continues to make a difference because I think that above all else, that sort of human connection you guys are talking about is how you do make a change with things um, because it become it pulls it out of the realm of theory, even if the theory is horrifying, uh, and 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 into the realm of reality. Yes. Yep. Nailed it. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, we could we could go on and for this for quite a while. <laughs> uh, we've had you on for uh, over an hour and a half. Uh, we probably should wrap up because I'm sure you've got work to do and um, other things that uh, have to come up. Um, like writing every want... single comic at DC Comics, yeah. for example. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, with your like ha- dozen of uh, dozen books that you're writing, um, before we get off the air, do you have do you want to like plug everything that people can go check out um, your series, like where they can find you online, that sort of stuff? Sure. Uh, 
Sure. Well, you can find me. Uh, I mean, the best place to find me is uh, is on Twitter uh, for social media at the Steve Orlando. Uh, the Steve Orlando. Uh, I should point out because at Steve Orlando is a very patient video game programmer that gets both my emails <laughs> and any number of others, and I and I love him, but he's not me. Um, and, uh, but you know. Namesake, which has just wrapped up my 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 main my only creator own book for the past year, uh, hopefully going to be out in trade soon. But uh, just I think one of the most beautiful books I've been a part of, uh, Jacob Rebelka, just doing really really amazing like 2008 style art. Uh, really does not look like anything else in the market. It has just you know wonderful kinetic action. I couldn't be more prouder of that book. More prouder? That's not a word. I couldn't be prouder or more proud of that book. And I'll absolutely be checking it out, by the way. So thank you for flagging that as a folk. And, uh, but, you know, as, as, as what I'm here talking about, uh, Just League America number one, uh, Rebirth came out two weeks ago, bi-weekly starting this week on Wednesday. Uh, just some of the wildest and, and, and most fun I've had uh, at, in the DC universe and, and new characters, characters you haven't seen in a long time, characters you haven't seen in ways that you will uh, and just just uh, uh, an honor to be working on that book since it's the book that got me into into comics uh, and the other thing I should point out is probably Batman in the Shadow which I'm uh, working on with Scott Snyder comes out in April and Riley Rossmo is drawing and hands down, it is the best work Riley has ever done. Uh, the Shadow is my favorite character in all of comics. Uh, Martian Manhunter is my favorite DC character. The Shadow is my favorite character. I have a signed Alec Baldwin movie poster in my house in central New York where I grew up, which hmm. few people wouldn't. Uh, I do love that character. So I like. can't wait for everybody to see that. Uh, it is Riley has always been an amazing artist, but the things that you're doing in that book, he's doing in that book are truly next level. Uh, I can't wait for that to come out. Um, and, man, Supergirl is coming out. It continues to come out. Issue 7 of Supergirl is probably the wildest uh, yet. Now that we've set the table with Issue 6, Issue 7 is kind of its inception inside of Kryptonian Werewolf's mind. So for people who have been with me since I wrote about centaurs taking drugs and going through puberty in 2012, return to form to Stranger Comics, uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, and more to come, folks, that I can't even tell you about on air. But uh, things that are just, it's going to be a really cool year. And things that I never thought would be possible at DC Comics will be possible by the end of 2017. That's a pretty big deal. Wow. Everyone's going to be clear. Yes, thank you for announcing it here. Just kidding. I mean, that's a dream, but I, I, won't, I won't rope you in on that one. I'll let that just be voiced by me, and everyone else can sort of stare silently through the window and, and wait for me to stop. But those are great pieces of news to share. Thank you, Steve, and thank you for joining us as always. Oh, I'm happy to come on, guys. I, I guess we'll, we will have you back on when whatever you're just hinting at happens, and we can discuss that. <laughs> I would I will I will be here certainly. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Much appreciated. All right. So, 
We are wrapping up uh, for a marathon. We haven't done a long show like this in quite a while. Uh, so folks cool. can go and get Justice League of America number one this Wednesday. It'll be out digitally, physically, at comic book shops, um, or you can go get it digitally at a whole bunch of places, Comixology, you can get it for your Kindle, I think Google Play maybe, I don't know. A whole bunch of places digitally. Comixology and Kindle are definitely two that you can get it. Um, and before we wrap up, Alana, where can folks get uh, connected with you? On Twitter at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. All the time. Elana underscore Brooklyn. Awesome. Uh, and for folks who are listening and want to get more comic news, reviews, interviews, and more, you can catch us at graphicpolicy.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Tumblr, and a whole bunch of other places, uh, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent. So thank you for listening. The show will be up on iTunes you know, probably like later this evening in an hour or two and also be up Stitcher at that point. And then uh, we're going to post it on our site tomorrow and through SoundCloud so that you can listen to it again and share it with your friends. Uh, or if you came in late, uh, pick up where you, uh, you know, all the stuff that you might have missed, the awesomeness that you missed. So as always, thank you for listening. Much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky.